It's the Redirect Podcast. Search industry research, discussion, and analysis from the Black Truck Media and Marketing Headquarters. And now, redirecting you to the Black Truck Team. Welcome to episode 30 of the Redirect Podcast. It is Friday, January 19th, 2018. I'm Jason Dodge, founder of Black Truck Media and Marketing. Welcome this week by Ashley and Patrick. Welcome, gang, to hey. another week. Hello. We made it through. Uh, just a quick <laughs> follow-up from last week. Last week was a really great uh, podcast, kind of a busy time. We published an outline on the changes taking place in the Facebook world mm-hmm. in that landscape and how this is going to affect um, organic reach of your brand's page. So... Uh, go check that out. There's a handy little infographic in there that actually Ashley uh, put together that's uh, nice, uh, you know, stay calm, and uh, these are the things you should you should focus on. So um, with that said, we're going to go ahead and jump right into things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick it to you, Ashley, and let you kind of maybe take off a little bit from where we left off last yes. podcast, episode 29. So Yeah, so kind of on, keeping on the theme of social media, um, with the updates to Facebook's news feed, um, there's the recommendation of creating content that is going to feed into the engagement factor on the news feed. Mm-hmm. So um, with these changes, Facebook is trying to keep more people on their site, on their platform. So what's going to create more engagement is going to be the content that um, will keep people on Facebook, basically. Mm. Um, Interesting. So the shift like we've seen maybe in the past couple of years of, you know, Google wants to provide you with the results and the best experience, but sometimes the best experience is keeping you within the Google ecosystem and not sending you off the site. So you almost have to cater to that, but also do something to encourage people to, quote unquote, read more or learn more or shop now. Exactly. And on that note, actually, um, today's Whiteboard Friday from Moz um, was on that very topic. Um, the, the title is, Should SEOs and Content Marketers Play to the Social Networks mm. Stay on Our Site Algorithms? Um, it's a really great video. I think it was just, just over six minutes, so a nice quick watch. Um, so Rand goes through how the social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, they, they favor, their algorithms favor content that's native to their platforms. So when you upload photos, when you, um, you know, record or upload a video that stays native to the platform, um, and, you know, just those text posts on LinkedIn that are just going crazy, mm. you know. Um, what did you call it? Broetry? Broetry, yes. Broetry. Yes. I can't I yeah. can't take credit for that. No, but, but I, I do believe that the, one, the post that I got tagged or like kind of prompted to respond yeah. to the other week was definitely broetry bro because that person never did respond to things. So. Um, that's your uh, takeaway for the podcast is to, to post more broetry right. no, on LinkedIn. No, I'm just kidding. Less broetry. Yeah, less broetry. <laughs> Let's uh, rid the world of broetry, shall we? Anyway, um... Again, the social media channels favor that native content that is not going to bring um, the users away from that platform's website or or app or whatever it may be. Um, But as marketers, we want to attract people away, usually, you know, try to get them to come to our website. website. Um, 
you know, there's a purpose for the social media, obviously. There's, you know, community, building a community, creating conversation, and, um, and generating awareness. Um, so Rand poses a couple reactions to that, um, you know, stay on the platform scenario. So do you play to the algorithms, or do you forget the algorithms and do your own thing? Um, so his suggestion, of course, is to create a balance of playing into the algorithms, but tip the scale in favor of bringing people to your website, obviously. Um, so the reason for that being that there's a purpose for both. Um, playing into the social media algorithms by quote-unquote sucking up to the algorithm and, and posting content that's going to pe- keep people on the site um, that'll possibly get higher engagement and presents opportunities to grow awareness on that platform for your brand. Um, but then, as Rand points out, um, what is the value, you know, if you're going the organic route, what is the value of your social media post potentially reaching a few of your followers organically, um, depending on how you do it, you know, um, versus the value of bringing a lead to your website through social media mm-hmm. and then bringing in a conversion that way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I thought that that was a, just a nice little recap of the and, situation. And, and, and to add to that, to, is, is there, what is the value of that lead coming in from, from social media versus the value of the lead coming in through your referral network mm. that maybe you have more influence over through social media or through other inbound channels, yeah. you know, obviously, hopefully most people would say, oh, that's a much more valuable lead. It's, it's probably a warmer lead, that mm-hmm. type of thing. You don't exactly. have to vet it as much. But um, it, it's interesting that, so Rand does the Whiteboard Friday. This was right after he did uh, him and Larry Kim, former WordStream uh, founder, did the, uh, they did a webinar series with, uh, PVC chat with PVC Hero, Hannapin Marketing, uh, and it was on the future of more or less ads in 2018. And um, this sounds like a little bit like a recap, probably of some of the things that Rand was talking about. Mm. And that was both of them had differing opinions. One was very much, are you going to chase the algorithm or are you going to do a mix of both um, both things? And I think Larry even tweeted to me afterwards. It's like It's like, it's just a Google, Amazon, Facebook world, and we just live in it <laughs> type of thing, you know. So, But I think, though, too, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if Facebook, Google, whatever, like, as SEOs, we shouldn't, be, we, we shouldn't be optimizing for the search engine. We should be optimizing for the human right. being that is then searching on the search engine. So that's what people need to remember and keep in mind. And that's, I think that has been very relevant for a while now for people who are doing good SEO work. Um, but I think that's more importantly moving moving forward. So yeah. it goes along the lines of the notion of keeping it human and robots are trying to be more human. As long as we keep focusing on the task of keeping totally. it human, the robots will eventually mm-hmm. catch up. Mm-hmm. So if you have the groundwork already laid, it'll just benefit you in the future as the robots get more advanced. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I think, and to also add to uh, kind of our discussions from from the previous podcast around Google's page speed test tools. So, Pat, you touched on, like, uh, I think it was beta, the beta access that we have to mm-hmm. Search Console and changes there. But then Google rolled out this great update to page speed tools. 
We know that usability. So again, we're all of this just plays into the human factor side of things, and and I think that's really I am I am a big fan of all of it. While it might make some people's jobs <laughs> difficult, I'm a big fan of it. But Google came out and actually stated that page speed will become a ranking factor in mobile search. So that will actually be a ranking factor. We know that it's been around on the desktop side since 2010, 2011, right in there. But it will be uh, for mobile search, which will affect the mobile index. Um, and they're saying sometime in July, actually. So mm. Mm. Um, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be known as the speed update. Super fancy name. <laughs> Um, and they're saying it's only to affect pages that deliver the slowest experience to users. So hmm. um, it's it's pretty agnostic to the technology that you're using to power your website or uh, to build pages out. That's that's at least what the Google team's saying. So hmm. um, you know to kind of play into the whole um, humanistic side of things. I think that that's that's the direction things are gonna really really head yeah. this year. Cool. Um, I'll jump in here. I want to talk about something a little bit different, but I guess it can kind of tie along with... Uh, I thought you were going to go, I'm going to talk about something that's real near and dear to my heart. Uh, or no, no. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is. <laughs> Image search? No. <laughs> um, page descriptions. Ah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, Ashley, you mentioned uh, keeping them on the platform. Mm-hmm. There's conversation around page descriptions changing and the SERPs. Um, they've more than doubled. So it's something that we haven't really talked about much and it didn't catch as much attention as I really feel it should. And I was, I've been working on page descriptions a lot for some clients this week and um, it just started dawning on me that I have to change my habits. We, you know, we, we are 156 characters. That's what we've kind of always worked on here is making sure that we're getting a good solid message across in 156 characters and it's been doubled to 320 characters. Mm-hmm. It's more than doubled. And that completely changes the way in which you can approach the content for a page description. Not just that, it completely changes the way you can, you need to have the content on the page itself. Yeah, because it could affect, I mean, it doesn't affect just the snippet at that yeah. point, which we've talked about before and what you should be doing there. And I think Yoast has updated their tools, Moz finally updated their tools, so the tool providers have finally updated, but right. but you're going a step further and saying actually like on the page, not the description itself, the correlation yeah. between. Yeah, because Google has always decided on its own accord what it wants to show sure. in that description, regardless if you have one entered or not. If you have a well-thought-out page description established and it's got the proper keywords in it that the searcher is utilizing, more than likely they're going to show your designated description. Mm-hmm. However, Google can still pick whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a well-crafted 156-character description, but there is something that's 320 characters well put together on the page content itself, Google Google could just take that. Um, To flip that, if you have lousy content on your page that has your keyword happens to be placed in it and it begins and ends properly and comfortably around that 320 character mark, Mm -hmm. Google could grab that. Hmm. Um, There's other conversations lining up that this uh, change in the SERP came after the proven success of featured snippets. Mm. It looks like the length of a featured snippet is very similar to this new expanded length of page descriptions in that they're kind of not synonymous or they don't blend perfectly, but it's kind of all part of the same tool and just the way it gets plugged in. Well, I think it's I, I think about it this way too, not to <clears throat> 
place bets on futures, but if you were to say that um, we know that position zero is what's powering a lot of responses with voice search results and things like that, is that is it really scalable? Because not every search result is going to warrant a featured snippet, like a winner in that case. So how is it scalable? How does this how does this grow? How do we make it more scalable? Well, one way to do it is to to show a longer just a snippet in general, uh, I think, and to be able to pull from that. It mm-hmm. doesn't even have to be a, a a featured snippet or position zero at that point. It can be right. something completely completely different, you know. And it's it's getting there, and that's the machine learning side of it. So, but yeah, I mean, what what do you do if you've got a page that has a doesn't even have a paragraph on it, like a product, like a product type page. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you? I just ran across that in a site I did. It was a large uh, tourism site, and it the pages were very specifically broken down. Mm-hmm. And as a byproduct of these broken down pages, they 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 justifiably have their own page. However, the content, the entire page's content, uh, it, it led to other sources. So the content itself on the site, the page was so light that. It was less than that, and mm-hmm. I didn't even really. I would have to do my own writing and research about the subject matter. I mean, that's what we do as SEOs. But it's it it changes the game. It changes the way we're going to have to approach this. Um, what I read too, defiantly said, don't go back and change your old page descriptions. Right. Yeah. If they're working, mm-hmm. and if they're well composed, yeah, they're still going to continue working for you going forward in your best interest to try to get those longer to get the most details you can in there and to test you know oh, definitely too and, and I, definitely. I I think with the whole page description uh, and pulling that in as well as your on page content can lead to potential you know you also have that duplicate content issue as well and uh, I think Google's John Muir came out the other day, and there there was a there was a whole thing in a webmaster forum recently that was outlined about how to handle it when you have like a, a product category page. So we've got a category for a certain category of products on there, say is ten products, and you're using the same exact snippet content for the description of that product to entice you to click on it is the same that's being used on the page mm. itself for the description. So could you imagine if you're like triple dipping, you're using that same content as the feature, as the snippet in the site on that product category page, like, um, okay, here's all our blue yo-yos we have. And then I click on the specific one, the model I want to see. And then it's the same description, but then also maybe by happenstance or just stock out of the box, CMS pulls that into your meta page description Mm -hmm. as well. Like all of a sudden we have some would be confusing uh, signals there. There's certainly real estate there on the table to, to clean up. That's that's not just a, that's not a fixed by a canonical tag, right? So that's more technical level item. So what do you suggest? What do you suggest people do? Do you think? Uh, I mean, monitor your. Obviously, you you say don't don't change the ones that are working. Yeah, don't change the ones that are working, but go back and review. It's a good time now, and anytime there's a major change. Go back and do a refresh. It's it's a healthy thing to do. It's the right time of year to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, go back and do a refresh on your current setup of titles and descriptions, and make sure they're still in line with the message and it's um, still meeting current trends and it's the proper search terms. And um, it it's a but don't jump and don't panic mm-hmm. to make 
quick changes because the changes still have to be quality changes. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I think using uh, data from like Webmaster Tools, uh, Search Console yeah. would be a, a good thing. You see those that, ah, oh, wow, we're, we're ranking decently, we're getting a lot of impressions, but low click-through rate. Uh, maybe those are the ones to go ahead and, and, and do some tweaking and modifications mm -hmm. to and bring them up to uh, what might be deemed as today's standards inching on that 300, 320 character yeah. limit. Right. And seeing if you can really make a valid case to have somebody click through, I think would be right. would be really helpful, you know. Obviously, if you've got a size, uh, like the, I know I know the site you were working on, if, if it's of scale, you know, that can, that can take some time to yeah. go through and knock out... Uh, page descriptions for for all the things so in, in that site um i did experiment i did like i'd say a third at the expanded mm -hmm. length mm -hmm. um and then i did i stuck with the way i normally do it on the previous because i hadn't done enough research on, on my own yet to see well, if it's I, permanent I, I think you've got to try you've got to track and test too yeah. you don't know it, you don't want to roll out the full change if you don't know it's it's impact mm -hmm. so right well, I think that the new year is certainly going to bring a round of, uh, of changes to both Google that we always probably all focus on, but then uh, Bing, too, uh, so the search engine that we often ignore, um, but I don't think that we should, right? We've heard things like, like uh, hey, if you're not using Bing's webmaster tools, like you should because right. you need to understand how they're crawling your site versus Google, yeah, 10 to 15% of your audience is still a piece of audience you yeah, should not ignore. Yeah, totally. I mean, it could be up to 20%. And it might sway toward an older demographic or those who are not as tech savvy or they work for Microsoft or something like that. But um, so the I think the biggest uh, volatility in search landscape, too, right now is, is within the local search environment. Mm -hmm. We've certainly seen it in Google. It's going to continue to evolve in Bing as Bing figures out their place in the market. Um, so they made changes recently to they added in a new feature uh, to the local knowledge panel. Um, so that's a little snippet. I keep calling it a snippet. We shouldn't because I'm sure other industry folks are going to be like, it's not a snippet. Okay, it's knowledge panel. It's, it's the little section that comes up and tells you everything about somebody's business. Um, but it allows a user to book an appointment. Um, so that's a feature that's actually been available to Google in some markets and not to all audiences since like this summer, uh, 2017, summer 2017. So um, the example that they used, um, but Bing used it, uh, the SEMPost, uh, Jennifer Slag wrote a really good article on that, is like if someone's doing a search for like a hair salon or a contractor's name or something like that, that, that information comes up and you're actually able to book an appointment directly through the knowledge panel. Say book now. It's facilitated by a third-party site that they've partnered with. Um, you know, but nonetheless, it's it's a move toward the pursuit of being more, again, more helpful to the user and not sending them directly away. Mm -hmm. I think that's mm -hmm. also a potential power play from an ad revenue perspective too. Not, I mean, I'm going to put my skeptic hat on in a moment and say, well, how a how does that information get relayed to them? B who's making money off of this too in the end? Like booking appointment, pay per lead. You know what does that yeah. what does that look like? So um, watch for some changes to to come out there. Uh, personally, I haven't read enough information on it to say these are the things you need to do. Um, much like their their local um, uh, like home services types ads and things like that. I mean, not relevant to our market to be able to place an ad when someone searches for like concrete contractor near me 
to get that that type of uh, home home ad to you. Mm-hmm. Um, Detroit in our market would be the closest. So it's it's more of those major metro markets that that stuff's available. So hmm. yeah. Um, and the other thing I wanted to touch on. Um, finally, I think everybody has digested the data from the holiday shopping season um, and how that went for 2017. And the big, the biggest revenue drivers in 2017 were um, were were search, both paid and organic, and then email campaigns. Hmm. Um, so there's there there was uh, some information put out. Uh, Adobe contributed National Retail Federation. Uh, had, there's a report out on 2017 holiday e-commerce shopping, and um, you know we know that retail continues to shift and move. I mean, I think 2017 brought about a, probably the most um, movement that I've seen from businesses, from reorganizations, merging, people going out of business. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. major major retailers too, major players. Um, and I don't think it's all to blame for online shopping and Amazon, but certainly has a lot to do with it. But So big wins and highlights, I think, are really great. Um, they're positives for our industry from a search and, and, uh, and digital marketing perspective, but on the forefront, continuing the trend of mobile, mobile shopping's on the rise. Um, site Net Elixir stated mobile visits to sites increased by 32%. Uh, the holiday shopping mm. season, uh, mobile accounted for thirty three percent of sales generated, mm. which is which is up. Uh, Salesforce uh, came out and said forty six percent of all online orders that happened on wait here's the kicker on Thanksgiving Day mm. took place on a mobile device. Makes sense. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Uh, you're tired of listening to you know your aunt or uncle talk politics, so or you're being smart and savvy and not wasting time in lines like those other right. people outside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, those stores don't need to be open on Thanksgiving. Um, the interesting thing too, I haven't read a trend on this yet, but the number of people shopping on Christmas Day. Especially via their mobile device, exploded fifty percent. Hmm. So you think about it though, like if you're given a gift card, yeah, no whether it's a wait. digital digital one or in person, you know, physical one, yeah, why wait? There's hot deals on Christmas or the day after. Maybe retails need to get a little bit smarter. Like if I was a retailer with a big e-commerce uh, platform, like. I'm gonna eat my own words probably from some previous podcasts, but like, why not? Why not run some promos on Christmas Day? Oh, here's here's something to think about. Actually, you know, smirking too. and laughing over uh, here, just shaking my head. <laughs> what? I wonder what percentage of those purchases on Christmas Day are based on a future return from a previous purchase. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Remember you know, we had so the discussion with. So we I think kind of come full circle we. We had an interesting discussion with our mail carrier, our U.S. parcel post uh, carrier here, great, great individual who we had a discussion about whether or not returns were up. And he made to mention that there's, that I think he said leading up to the holidays, what did he say? Like the first part of his route was full of packages 
And then the next part was more your traditional business and residential type male. I, and then we were having the discussion about what did returns look like, and he made it sound like it's pretty, it's pretty significant. Yeah. There's a ton of movement. So that's kind of what triggered that thought. Was, let's say you know my mom got me the wrong item. She bought it on December fifteenth, mm-hmm. December tenth, or something, and and uh, on Christmas Day, I'm like, hey, this is great, thanks, but it's the wrong color, and yeah, the wrong size, or something. Yeah. I know I'm going to return it, so I just go ahead and purchase the correct one. And then a couple of days later, we handle the return from the other one. Hmm. So that revenue is triggered back to that original purchase. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. What's the percentage of... Well, I think there's revenue generated. And then the whole other sub-segment that you're interested in is percentage of returns. Mm-hmm. Returns for refund or returns for, um, you know, Ashley yeah. had the wrong color or something like that or the wrong size or... Something like that. I think it's, it's... As a supplement to our post guy's full truck after Christmas, I did read somewhere that I think it was the highest um, return season ever in addition to the highest retail season ever. So the what you're mm. telling me is the U.S. government or U.S. Parcel Post has Amazon to thank yeah. for <laughs> keeping them uh, rock and rolling, which in a real sick and twisted way, consumers... <laughs> Your your subsidized shipping for Amazon Prime <laughs> is helped by your tax dollars <laughs> in a really really weird oh. roundabout way. But anyways, the orga- uh, so it, the other cool thing is, especially for us as as search marketers, organic search and paid search drew uh, the largest sales revenue for uh, a lot of companies, and especially those mentioned in that the article. Um, search drove nearly forty five percent of visits. Uh, breaking that down into a, a category of, of 23% to 21%, so paid to organic. So 23% to organics, 21%. Um, again, I always want to know, Pat, probably like your last point, I want to know, okay, how many of those were like new visits through organic search, making mm-hmm. a purchase, versus how many of those were, were returning visits? I think those are always uh, always interesting stats to try and figure out too. But Yeah. yeah. Yes, Ashley. Yeah, I mean, this is... <laughs> it's kind did you, of changed. Did, did you go down a whole other rabbit hole? Well, no, there's just... Um, I, I've gone back and forth about whether or not to make this my, you know, kind of my talking point for the podcast, but we had talked a little bit about um, the featured snippets and, and um, voice voice search, and I, it just made me think I'd just seen this um, article come up in my reading of um, a study found that 80% of Google Home results came from featured snippets. 80% of Google Home results. So um, hmm. I didn't go too deep into the to, into the study, but I thought that was very interesting. That So it's like, okay, what's the other 20%? That 20% are the probably yeah. searches that don't have a featured snippet. Well, yeah, or there's... A, I mean, I, again, I didn't go too deep into it, but there was... Um, let's see. It was like flight searches. Um, yeah, it, I don't know. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes if you want to check it out. And then... Along with that, um, uh, NPR and Edison Research released a new smart audio report for Q4 Mm -hmm. of last year. And um, so there's some new stats related to smart devices. And, you know, this is just something that we've been following as as it has been developed and just on the heels of the conversation about the holidays. Um, In the 2017 holiday season, 7% of Americans got a smart speaker 4% 4% of Americans got their first smart speaker. Um, 
And let's see if I can find that other stat. Of course, I'm not going to be able to find it now. <laughs> um, but it, it may not have been in this report. It might have been in a different report. But now one in six Americans has a smart device. Wow. Yeah. So um, sometimes you're forced into getting a smart device and you don't even realize it. I'm getting a new thermostat in my house next week. Um, and the current version of thermostat has Amazon Alexa built into it. It's not why I'm getting it. But um, I'm the guy that always rags on these new smart devices and these home assistants. And now I'm going to have two in my house. It's, it's two thermostats. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting, too. I mean, so the featured snippet side of it, 80, you said 80% was yeah, the stat? for Google Home the, specifically. Google Home specifically. And, and the stat for the brands that actually own their featured snippet, meaning like it's a query, like really, really, it's theirs that they should own. It's like a ridiculous, it's below 3% or so. Mm. It's a stupid, stupid low number mm. that brands that don't even own the featured snippet. So think about that, 80% uh, or featured snippet results and like w- was your brand even in the in the results mm-hmm. um the other side of it too was just coming back from i had an opportunity to go to the north american international auto show industry day yesterday and it was fascinating just to see trends and, and the biggest trend that i took away was certainly the notion of you know connected devices and iot and and having everything communicate and every manufacturer now um, you know, the car can connect to Alexa or your Google personal assistant, Google Home, that type of thing. So it's really, it's really interesting how we've gone from maybe like Ford Sync and the, you know, maybe the more originator uh, in their collaboration with Microsoft on that to now, well, I don't, I don't want that. I want it to work with my existing, you know, Amazon account that I have because I'm on the way home and I need toilet paper. Mm-hmm. Am I going to stop by the store, or can I hold out for two days and have Amazon Prime deliver? Depends you know? on if the Sunday's in there, too. This is true. <laughs> That's right. You're going to know the system. But, but nonetheless, you know, connecting with things like Chromecast for the uh, the TVs, uh, the entertainment system behind you, obviously your Spotify and, and Pandora-type mm-hmm. apps and, and Amazon Prime and stuff. So it was all about connected. I had an opportunity to go downstairs they had 150,000 square feet dedicated to what they called uh, mobility, and mm. it was all startups in the um, automotive space. Uh, there's uh, Techstars is there and a bunch of other folks, and that's what stood out. It was uh, uh, autonomous vehicles, connected or uh, connected devices, connected technologies, and um, uh, virtual reality too. Um, that's that. That was the gist of 150,000 square feet. Was mm. that's what I boiled it down to, mm. and that's what the car manufacturers are all all working out to. So, um, it's going to be very interesting to see how that all works yeah. into our daily lives as search markets. Yeah, um, <clears throat> the last couple of weeks, I've been kind of teasing voice search uh, <laughs> and personal assistance, and um, my thing is, I think it's going to fizzle out, and I think maybe to to craft that a little bit more refined is what are we going to do with it. Sure. Like how do we use it? Sure. We're not, I don't know if we're ready for it yet. And I, I, I saw an article earlier this week that kind of made me giggle, and I, I didn't fully get into it. But um, New York Times on the 15th put out an article called, uh, Alexa, we're still trying to figure out what to do with you. <laughs> uh, and I thought that just totally perfectly supplements my thought on it. <laughs> the article true. didn't necessarily line up because it was about CES and 
the uh, tech uh, conference that's going uh, on <laughs> in uh, yeah. different features that um, uh, uh, apps that are being integrated with these personal home assistants and how to use them. But it didn't answer that question. What are we going to do with you? We're, we're shoving it and forcing it in everybody's house and cars and phones and all these things. But at the end of the day, what are we going to do with it? That's a really good, that's a really good question. And I think as marketers, we need to ask that question too. Like what, what do I need to do with it? Meaning, should I be doing anything with it? Should I be concerned about it? Or should I, should I really continue to focus on, uh, the people that I'm trying to influence, Mm -hmm. the people that I'm trying to talk to, talking to them more, talking more with them, not at them. Mm -hmm. And so getting less, getting away from, a lot less of the, as you put it, shoving it down your throat and more of the, you know, how can I come alongside you and help you, um, I think is really going to be interesting to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Really good. Really good touch points. So, um, so check out the, uh, check out the piece that we did on, uh, on the changes that are going to happen to Facebook. Uh, certainly, uh, if you want to hear about it, you don't want to read it. Uh, episode 29, I think it starts around the 20 minute mark. That was a long one. So- Somewhere in there. Um, So jump back, listen to that. uh, And until next time, good luck. This has been the Redirect Podcast. Check out the show notes at blacktruckmedia.com and add us on iTunes and Stitcher.